Professor Nutt, which you probably know Professor Nutt, uh, that mm-hmm. wrote Drink and actually yeah. got fired because of his views on alcohol. Yeah. That is why he said alcohol is the most dangerous drug of them all. Like, it, it's crazy because in the United States, there's like, I think there's like five levels of drugs, like the different levels of how bad they are. Like, aspirin is considered a drug. Like, cocaine, I think the worst that we have is like cocaine or, or meth or something like that. Because anything that changes your body is considered a drug. Welcome to the 1000 Day Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am someone that doesn't drink alcohol. And I spend every waking moment of my life helping other people do the same, like right now. Today, my guest is Ken McKimsey Middleton. He is the editor of a medium publication called Alcohol Is Not Your Friend. And it's a publication focused on science-based strategies to help individuals change their relationship with alcohol and create the best version of themselves. Through his work, Ken coined the term alcohol consciousness to represent his belief that one should not have to hit rock bottom or have a problem with alcohol to quit drinking. Instead, it's something that people should consider to live a more holistic and healthy lifestyle. He is currently in the middle of a book project on the topic titled Bamboozled, How Alcohol Makes Fools of Us All. And we talk about some of those chapters and concepts from that book in this episode. It was a lovely chat. And we covered things like education in children, in alcohol, um, the role that Hollywood plays in the ubiquitous nature of alcohol, uh, perception of value versus reality. We talked about the importance of drinking consciously if you are trying to quit alcohol uh, and also to quit consciously. Filling the white space is really important to talk about that. We talked about the importance of exercise, diet, how alcohol plays a role in the quote-unquote midlife crisis or midlife awakening, whichever way you want to look at it, and also how and why it is never too late to quit, okay? And so much more. So please check it out and have a listen. If you uh, want to uh, buy your copy or your um, reserve your copy, actually, you can buy a copy of uh, Bamboozled, How Alcohol Makes Fools of Us All. You can actually get a copy for free. Um, there's a way to do that. So just read the um, instructions down below this, the show notes, or email me at thestridemethod at gmail.com, and I'll forward you uh, to the right place where Ken will give you a free copy of that book. All he asks in return is you you give him um, a review on Amazon uh, when the book is launched, okay? So without further ado, I'll shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of Ken McKinsey Middleton. So Ken, it's a little early where you are. You just said so. Uh, let the uh, let the community know where you are, where you are, yeah. what the time is. I'm in Atlanta, Georgia. It is 5 a.m. on a Monday morning on post Super Bowl Sunday. So you can imagine the <laughs> amount of people who are not up right now in the United States. I like football. I enjoy it, but I, I wasn't going to stay up last night to watch that game. <laughs> it looked like it was a pretty good game, though. But nah, I went to bed early. But uh, it is a little early here, my good man. Ah, uh, well, thank you. We appreciate you coming up, and usually. Uh, I ask people to give us a little bit of little bit of setup, a little bit of history on yeah. their um, their life of alcohol. But I'm going to do this a little bit differently. I got some cards here with questions on them, right? All right. So I'm going to like give it. you a random. I'm going to give you a random question, and if you can think of it and answer it and tie it into your history of alcohol, let's see if we can do that. All right. Well, let's, let's take All a right. swing at it. We'll see how we do. And if it's too personal, I'll just say pass. All right. So look. Uh, okay. Okay, so uh, the chief problems in my relationship with my mother and my father were. I mean, that is that is a, a, a wow one. Uh, so I never really knew my dad, so I, I wouldn't say that is an issue. I, I never really knew my dad. So I think you might be able to tie it into it. So let's do this. So relationship with my mom, I mean, nothing really, right? Like my mom is just, you know, I mean, growing up, didn't have a lot of money. She was um, honest, uh, just in all transparency, diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia when she was 22. So we didn't live with her 24, excuse me. We didn't live with her until she was about 30. So there was about an eight year period where she was trying to get back in a life. And I stayed with my um, aunt and my great grandma. And then as I lived with her, you know, there was always these bouts of in and out of the hospital, her getting good. And, and now she's in a great spot. Not a big deal mm-hmm. there. But with my father, I never knew my father, but grew up single parent home with my mom. And I think for me, growing up without a dad, 
uh, allow or, or caused me to have a lack of self-confidence on myself as a man. Let's be honest. Didn't really know how to speak to the opposite sex. Didn't really know how to really fight that well. And so when I started drinking, if you think about me started drinking in college, part of it, Lee, was around that sense of a lack of confidence and self-consciousness of not being a manly man and trying to be uh, boastful, braggadocious, all the things when you see guys and you're like, oh, that's the person I want to be. I kind of saw alcohol as the conduit that would help me become that person. So mm. whereas naturally I might not be timid, I, I never thought I was timid, but I wasn't overly aggressive in certain situations. With alcohol, I could be that person. I could go up and talk to women. I could do all the things that I kind of wanted to do when I was sober. Uh, and so I would say for me, alcohol was the thing. And that's why I named my, my publication, Alcohol is Not Your Friend. Alcohol became the friend that kind of replaced the lack of having a father figure growing up that then allowed me to become the person that I wanted to become. Mm, I like that. So it's like uh, for people listening, what, what uh, I'm hearing there and gelling with here is when we're young and we're children, we we really need our caregivers to help grow um, a really healthy masculine essence and a really healthy feminine essence. And if we have that missing in some quarters, then likely low self-esteem, low self-worth, like uncomfortableness and not quite sure confusion and not quite sure what to do in certain spots. And then alcohol comes along as a kind of great leveler status-wise. Uh, and we fall into it. I, I have a question on that. Uh, interesting on your thoughts, though, is um, even if we knew what we know now as children and so like teenagers, really. So teenagers going into tw- I know in America, it's 21 when you drink in the UK, it's 18. But we drink much earlier than that. <laughs> yes, e- yeah, Even if we knew what we knew now, do you think we would still be able to escape that real strong pull of this tribe over here is the tribe everyone's drinking, like 80, 90% of kids are drinking. Uh, can I be the 5, 10%? Like, is it possible for us at that young age to be strong enough, do you think? It's hard to say, Lee. I, I don't, of course not, not everyone. Um, but I do think the opportunity is what I try to do with my articles and what, my publication is to educate people on what they're not, what they're giving up. So for me, growing up, I felt like certain drugs were were um, were, were publicized in such a way that never made me want to use them. Marijuana, yeah. cocaine, uh, um, crack, if you would like certain ones are giving such a bad rap that for me, I was just afraid to use it. So I don't care how many people I would have started doing cocaine and how cool it was. I wasn't going to do it. Right. But for alcohol, it was never shown in a light. And I say this all the time. Growing up, it was too, for me, education wise, there was two stratifications with alcohol. Either you drink and you were fine or you were an alcoholic. And as long as you weren't an alcoholic on this right side, this dichotomy, you were fine. What they don't do oftentimes and what we how we're socially engineered young is they don't educate you on all the gray area, all Mm. the in between that amazing spectrum that you're on. So to answer your question, do I think that people still wouldn't be interested and go that side? Absolutely not. The, The people will still do it, just like people still do cocaine, amphetamines. People are still going to do it. I do think, however, fewer people would do it if they're truly educated on how alcohol affects you negatively, scientifically, physiologically, everything you're giving up when you decide to to uh, allow it enter your life. So I think mm. it would make a difference. Mm. I think I, I would add to that that um, there needs to be there needs to be more work around parenting. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. like. There's, there's so many kids out there that you can you can give them all the scientific literature. Like, let's just take smoking, for example, which is like, yeah. you know, like it's a similar thing, right? Like we when I grew up, I smoked, I drank, right? I smoked and I knew I was going to die, but I was going to die a long, 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 long time in the long future, time. right? Yeah. Very few people who drink and have drink problems actually think they're going to die of liver disease, right? Like unless the doctor turns around and says, look, if you don't stop drinking, you're going to die tomorrow. Most people know that alcohol's fucking them up, but they, it's not enough for them to stop. Right. And so for me, like if you could somehow get into the parenting of, of, of growing strong children who are really resilient and have really strong self-worth, it gives them the opportunity to make different choices 
at a young age when that pressure comes on, right? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you're talking like full change in like the educational spectrum and stuff, right? And educating parents, very difficult. Yeah, no doubt. And I think what you made to tie it back to the first one about parenting is so important because you're exactly right in the sense that when people start drinking, they are looking for something that they don't have. I often think that's part of the decision. And for parents, it's like trying to make sure that as you're giving your kid perspective on life and, and, and what they need to do to live a holistic life. It's around showing them that they don't need alcohol to be a full person. Now, part of that Lee becomes parents not drinking themselves because kids are going to do what they see. So if you tell your kids, all right, don't, don't drink it's bad for you, but you, but they see you drinking all the time. I mean, that that's going to go in one ear out the other. You just have to mm. understand that. So it, it's partially around parents making the decision at some point in their life that they're no longer going to allow alcohol to be that crutch for them because we think about the kids and their low self-confidence and their, their um, um, anxiety, um, not comfortable in, in unusual situations for parents is some of the same. And then it's, Hey, you have a bad day at work. So what do you do? You go home and you have a beer, you have an argument with your spouse. So what do you do? You want to go have a glass of wine. You have a bad day doing whatever. And then you're, or, or just feeling like you don't have anything to do. So you're hanging around in the afternoon and you get with your buddies, you want to drink. So it's the, all the times that, we use alcohol in everything that we do that our kids are seeing it that creates this, I'm going to drink because everyone does it and it's natural. And then the second part of what you said really hits me because that's where I'm saying like, it's the two things, alcoholic or easy drinker, or alcoholic. And, and you're right. Only 13.4% of the United of Americans consider themselves an alcoholic. 1.4 of people in the world percent of people consider them alcoholic. The majority of people will never make it to that level. They just won't. Like uh-huh. you have to drink a lot consistently to ever get there. And you're right, Lee. Most people don't think they're ever going to get there. But what they don't realize is how cognitively they're impaired in so many ways as they drink, as they progress in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. Emotionally, they're impaired with the inability to deal with situations so much. Physiologically, they're hampered in so many ways that alcohol almost gets to the point that it can take away their ability to have joy without it. So I would say when I talk about alcohol, like, it creates the need for itself. Like you drink it initially because you want to do because you like it and everyone else is do it. If you do it consistently over time and you don't have to be an alcoholic to get to this level, but it becomes, you need it even to feel baseline because it is created that by physiologically changing over time. And that's why people just need to understand you don't have to die of liver disease to be truly negatively or highly negatively impacted by alcohol you just have to drink it consistently. And there's no doubt in my mind, it will negatively impact your life. Yeah. I I, I mean, with your stats there on, uh, you know, the, the so-called alcoholic, you know, it's like um, I was reading something the other day and it had um, it had a questionnaire on there about um, filling this questionnaire. And if you get so many points, then you, uh, you, you, you have suffered from alcohol use disorder at yeah. a very serious level. And I filled in the questionnaire um, 10 years after I'd like stopped drinking, but I filled in the questionnaire, uh, you know, really remembering what I was like back then. Um, yeah. and, and, and I came out as really heavy problem with alcohol use disorder. Um, but that wasn't interesting because I kind of knew that anyway. What was interesting is I was no different to mostly everybody that I saw around me who would never in a million years um, believe or own up to the fact that they had a problem, let alone the government is saying this is alcohol use disorder and you've got a real serious issue. They would never, ever define themselves in that because the alcohol industry and the institutions that support it, they've made such a great job to normalize it. And I'll just give you one example and and then throw the mic back over to you. Um, I don't drink. Uh, My wife, Liza, rarely drinks. My daughter, I don't think she she, I don't think she ever sees my wife drink, right? But she really, really drinks. Yet my, my daughter, she's six. She's a little artist, right? She journals, she writes. In her, in a lot of her storylines and a lot of her drawings and stuff, there's there's something about wine. Like she mm. she she'll draw wine glasses and she'll draw in wine. But 
it ain't in this house, right? Really? Yes. So, so all of a sudden you're thinking, where's that coming from? And actually, when I'm reading books to her, there, there, there's, there's storylines of alcohol even in children's books. When she's watching movies and stuff on TV, alcohol is present in little. It's, it's, it's everywhere and it's ubiquitous. It could even be a schoolyard conversation between two six-year-olds. I, I don't know what it is, but she definitely has got it in her head that there's this thing called alcohol, and it's kind of like on the good side of things when she's writing stuff, you know? It, it is extremely pervasive throughout our entire society. So in the book, and I'm sure we'll get to it at some point, but there's a chapter, Lee, dedicated co- completely to Hollywood and how mm. we're socially engineered as little kids throughout our entire lives. We don't recognize that by the alcohol industry to tell us drinking is a normal part of your life. It is a rite of passage when you get to college and when you quote unquote made it, then you're the, you're the boss, the CEO with a cabin full of bourbon and a snifter to drink. So when Bob mm. comes in and it's two o'clock in the afternoon, Hey Bob, yeah. you want to drink? I often see those things. And I'm like, in what world <laughs> does that happen? Who's drinking at two o'clock in the afternoon in the office, but it's always rich people, the bosses, and they're the ones that have that. And they create it. They do it so geniusly because it's so subtle. They don't beat you over the head with it, but it's just something that you see. And to your point, your six-year-old daughter, she recognizes that women that are seen as feminine or women that are seen as beautiful, there's this connection to wine or or alcohol of some kind. And we're just, as young kids, we're socially engineered. Using the example of kids' movies, I was I, it knocked me over the head. And I was like, man, this is so crazy because I never would have noticed it before I was drinking. We went and watched Puss in Boots about six weeks ago. And you got the, the main character, Antonio Banderas's character, Puss, mm-hmm. in a bar drinking mead. There right? you go. He's She's watching that now. Yeah. Yeah. And he's the hero of the of the show. And it's not negatively affecting him. He's still doing the things he needs to do. And if you look at all of our shows, it's always there. All alcohol. They did a study, Lee, in which they were looking at the amount of shows that in some way um, has alcohol in it. And I want to say it was 93 percent of all movies and all television shows. Ninety three percent. But yet. We know people don't drink that much. And so it's the the difference in how they 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 um they show alcohol being something that everybody does. But to your point, you don't drink, your wife doesn't drink, but the alcohol industry will make it seem like everybody drinks. She she watched she watches Puss in Boots. She watches yeah. the TV show, she watches Puss in Boots. And you know, Tangle, the Disney show. Yeah, a big, it's another one. There's a big dance scene in a pub. Here's, here's one I noticed the other day, and I want the audience to really listen to this because it's a really good point. I was watching um, His Dark Materials, um, mm-hmm. and there was a scene where um, a woman walks into this, like they're all preparing for war and they're in a tent, and a woman walks into this tent. It's the, it's the middle of the day. She, there's a whiskey decanter on the side. She picks it up. She pours herself a whiskey in front of the camera. She puts it down, and they do the scene. And she never even drinks it. And and I watched it and I was like, you're fucking kidding me. Alcohol placement. Some alcohol company has paid to have that place. And I see it everywhere. And you know what, Ken? I get angry. And I want you listening to this to get angry because what is happening with that alcohol placement is you are being subconsciously primed to notice that alcohol because they want you to buy it to keep you poisoned and keep you addicted. And you can use that anger and you can channel that anger into your decision to do something about it and say, I'm not going to be a puppet. I'm not going to let them put their hand up my ass. I'm going to make my choices and my decisions. Lee, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Like the Hollywood chapter, I talk about the concept of priming and how it that they don't hit you over the head. It's the little subtle, subtle. things. And it, that and this is what's very interesting about that whole um, situation. If you would research it, the alcohol industry, and I don't know if it's illegal. I need to do a little more research on this, but they would say they do not invest in movies. If you look at it, they will say they don't. The movies will say they don't take money from. But if you look at the amount of times it happens, and that example is a great example because it's so unnecessary to the scene. Yes, because she doesn't drink it. Yeah, it's immaterial to the scene, but it's everywhere. And it's something that, to your point, the alcohol industry has made it just like the smoking industry did 30, 40, 50 yeah. years ago. Yeah. It's the same thing. And they're always going to put it in everything. And I just think there needs to be a movement to say, all right, 
we need to stop allowing this to happen, right? If you need to tell the story with alcohol and it's part of the scene, okay. But for it to be in everything that our kids have to see it all the time, it's not fair for us as parents who try to teach kids, if you drink alcohol at 15 or 16 years old, you can truly negatively affect your brain in a much more um, devastating way than if you wait until you're older. Mm -hmm. So for it to be in everything with kids seeing, it just increases the chances that they're going to quote unquote, try it. And then you know how it is with smoking. Once you start, I mean, it's really hard to stop when Mm -hmm. you're that young. Um, But I'm with you, man. Like to me, that's one of the biggest things that I eventually as I look and go on this crusade for alcohol consciousness is the term I use in a book around sobriety. I, I like the term alcohol consciousness because it's not about not drinking. I tell people all the time, if you want to drink, that's for you. Your wife drinks. She can do that. That's her decision, mm-hmm. right? But mm-hmm. I just want to make sure people are aware of what they're giving up every time they drink. So just like health mm-hmm. conscious, you don't eat fried food. You don't eat stuff that bad for you. Alcohol consciousness is, hey, you just recognize that alcohol is fine but it just doesn't serve you and you don't want to give up what you're giving for it. So I tell people like alcohol, if you want to be alcohol conscious, like just recognize that your life can be a whole lot better. And then on my crusade it's around, how do I get alcohol out of movies because in, in shows or at least kids shows, cause it's really making it very hard for them to say no. Yeah. And, and for people listening, and this is why podcasts like this and conversations like this are really good because there are no kids listening to this, but there are the parents of the children are listening to this. And, you know, I have a 22-year-old son. I have a six-year-old daughter. I have a movement of people who I help to become people who don't drink alcohol and live more consciously. My daughter, Zia, she regularly comes on into my video. She knows their strife. She speaks to them, you know. Aww. She knows all that kind of stuff. But if I, if I had to put my, my life on whether or not my daughter was going to drink alcohol or not, I'm pretty confident she will. I think she'll mm-hmm. go through that teenage years and she'll drink. I think the peer pressure is too too great for kids this, this age. But I'm hoping with the discussions that we have with her around increasing her alcohol consciousness or alcohol awareness um, and also just really helping her to grow with a secure attachment style, which I think is really, really important, then hopefully she will be able to dibble-dabble in it consciously and not be unconsciously drinking that's the key thing for me like if i my 22 year old son now if he you know he's like any other kid right he goes in and out of depression and 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 loneliness and all these different things if he started drinking as a way to deal with those things hey we need to have a chat but that ain't happening i'm seeing him going out and he's drinking with his mates having fun and when they're going to the bar they get into trouble but it's different. It's, di- it's different the way he's going about it, right? And I think, yeah. and I think that's because of he knows. Oh, this is what my dad does. This is what he talks about. This is how he is. This is what we talk about with alcohol. I think that's really important to keep that open, right? That gateway yeah. open. That's it. So it's around the education in the sense of them him being aware. So since you're doing with strive and with your pie, a thousand days sober, like since you do that and you and he's hearing it. It's never out of the back of his mind. So yeah. as he's drinking and, he, and and this is part of so in bamboozled, we have a part it's um how do you do it, which is like there's there's three parts to it. And the third part is like, how do you do it? How do you do it is how do you stop drinking? Um, we have a concept called the med. So the meds is my uh kind of creative philosophy of how you go about and no longer try to get alcohol out of your life. And the first mm-hmm. step of that, so M-E-D-S is the acronym, M mm-hmm. stands for mechanical engineering. Very first step for the M and mechanical engineering is a reengineering is about educating yourself on how alcohol affects you. And I tell people in that first step, do not stop drinking. Mm. I don't want you to stop drinking in that first step. Mm. I want you to continue drinking. And the reason I say that is because when you're drinking and you're reading about all the things that alcohol does to you or can do to you, you can then in the moment truly assess is it doing those things? Yeah. Am I feeling that way? Are these cravings happening? Because to your point earlier, what was happening to me, I was drinking subconscious, uh, unconsciously. I wasn't mm. even thinking about what I was doing. But when I started to recognize what alcohol was doing to me and reading, I started to recognize, all right, five o'clock every w- day, I do get this itch to drink. I think I'm deciding to drink just because I may have had a tough day. But now I'm recognized that alcohol 
because of the endorphin and the dynorphin spike and how my body is has been so artificially spiked by alcohol with endorphins, the dynorphins that are created naturally to kind of get you to homeostasis, they preempt the endorphins. So now instead of me, the, the dynorphins coming after I drink, the dynorphins come first because they know the alcohol is coming. The perception. And it creates yeah. the cravings. That's what creates. So now I'm mm. like, I have to, I, so I can, I read it and I see it and I'm like, holy shit. Like I'm changing the way my body works. I, before I thought alcohol helped my anxiety, but then I recognize once I come down, my anxiety is even worse. Mm. Oh man, I'm actually hurting myself more than helping myself. So it's around that education. Whereas your son, when he drinks, he can see my, I know what my dad's taught me, how alcohol affects me. Is this really serving me? And I think you're right. I tell people, I don't believe that you should never drink. I just think there's a set of life. It's almost like, and this, I don't know if this is a great analogy, but this is just how I truly think about things. I'm the type of person that's like, I don't think you should get married at 18, 19, 20 years old right out of college. I just don't believe it. The part of that for me is like, it's hard for you to unequivocally say that your spouse is the best person for you if that's the only person you've ever dated in your life. Like, I mean, that's just the reality of it. But when you date it, you know, however many other people, you got something to compare your spouse to, then you look at your spouse and you're like, this is it. This is the holy mm. grail. I'll tell people for you to really to appreciate alcohol consciousness and what your life be can be without alcohol. I feel like you need a time in which you see what your life can be like with alcohol. And then mm. you have a chance to compare the two. And then you say, okay, it was fun for that season. I think younger, when you're 22, 23, you're in college. Like, I mean, that's part of it. I'll just be honest. That's part of mm. life. But the education system, you need to know, it needs to not take over your life. You can't do it all the time. And then I do believe, Lee, there's a certain age that everybody should quit drinking because if you don't, the negative effects and the price you're paying for it is so much greater than the prices yeah. that you're paying for, for before. Yeah. When you when you were saying about the perception, it reminded me of that excitement you would get on a Thursday night knowing yes. you was waking up on Friday, you was going to go to work and it was going to be the best day of the week because you was only going to work until three o'clock and then mm -hmm. everybody was going to pub. And then that excitement, you you build it up and you're like, yeah, alcohol is this amazing thing, but it's it's not it's not the alcohol because as soon as you have your first drink, everything starts going downhill. The, the big one for me with the, like, the experimentation phase, you know, drinking what, almost like drinking while you're consciously aware of and, and feeling and going into the body and stuff, was this um, one of the reasons that people drink and find it really difficult to drink is because they think it gives them this buzz, right? It's like, mm -hmm. no, no, no. I like, I really, I would miss the buzz. And so, but when you drink, if you just get yourself a bottle or two of wine and you just sit there and you just in the body, like you're very consciously feeling, what is this alcohol doing to me? Right. Yeah. And then you rate that buzz out of one to 10. Let's say an orgasm is a 10. And now right. you, you, you're rating this buzz. You ain't even going to scratch five. Right. Like it's not, it's not going to really do what you think it does. But these, these parts of your personality that really, really need you to drink to keep you safe, they create this bullshit story, which is obviously comes from the media, social media, advertising, TV, movies, that it is great, it's fantastic, it's amazing, it's, it relaxes us, it does all these things. Um, no, not really. I mean, look, I thought of thinking about this a daily. I was listening to Alex Huberman podcast, uh, I talk about alcohol, and it's like 80% like of adults in the world who live in countries where alcohol is available drink the stuff. There's nothing about it that is like healthy or beneficial to you whatsoever. And then you've got ecstasy, and I'm not promoting everybody takes ecstasy. <laughs> and then you've got, and then you've got E, for example, where people could take E, and then it makes you feel like all super loved up and shit. <laughs> like that's illegal, and nobody will do that. Yet they'll all drink this stuff in a pub and go smash bottles over people's heads. It's like fucking nuts. And, dude, and I think what you said earlier is because, and this is why alcohol is, and um, Dr. Professor Nutt, which you probably know Professor Nutt, uh, that mm -hmm. wrote Drink and actually yeah. you know, got fired because of his views on alcohol. Yeah. That is why he said alcohol is 
the most dangerous drug of them all. Like it's, it's crazy because in the United States, there's like, I think there's like five levels of drugs, like the different levels of how bad they are. And like aspirin is considered a drug like mm-hmm. cocaine. I think the worst that we have is like cocaine or, or meth or something like that. Because anything that changes your body is considered a drug. Alcohol is not even considered a drug by the standards of the United States government, the way they look at it. But right. as Professor Nutt shared, it's the most per, it's the most insidious because to your er, a point earlier, no one thinks about, hey, if I do get liver disease, I'm going to be 60. I'm going to be 70. It's so far out that people think I'm OK, whereas they think crack or cocaine. Hey, this can really hurt me like tomorrow or to like three months from now. So they don't want to do it. But they don't realize that alcohol, the same way that ecstasy or E or coke or how it's affecting you and, and shortening your life alcohol is doing it it's just doing it at a much slower pace than it Mm. is before but the negative Mm. effect is still there so people don't realize it but then it becomes like the ability to be your best self and this is what the book talks about and this is where i talk about the concept of alcohol consciousness i tell people so when you're like just like the 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 spike that you get from from coke or whatever it makes or ecstasy it makes you feel feel good right it feels good in that moment But what you're giving up is your body's natural ability to do that on its own. And people don't recognize that. You forget it, right? You're you're like you're 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 hampering your ability to create the joy for yourself. Like you're hampering Mm. your emotional ability to deal with problems yourself. And I just tell people alcohol is fun for a while. But if you keep doing it your ability to really experience joy or have sex without alcohol will not be there anymore. And it will become a point where a point where alcohol was the things you did because it made you feel better to the point that, and this is what I was talking about earlier, you can't feel good at all unless you're drinking. And that's where you can get into that dangerous area of potential alcoholism or getting there a lot sooner. And people don't recognize it because I think they're talking about studies of, we know that alcohol exacerbates depression. If you naturally are depressed and you have issues, alcohol is scientifically proven to make that worse, right? Because it has to do with how it affects your neurotransmitters and your natural serotonin levels. And it makes it difficult before your body to create serotonin on its own because your body is artificially used to alcohol doing it for it. They're now saying that alcohol even can create depression. There's something mm-hmm. called anhedonia. Anhedonia is when you've drinks, you're so used to the dopamine spike of alcohol that it becomes impossible, really challenging for you to, to feel joy without it. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think a lot of people get in like their 40s, where they start looking at life. They call it a midlife crisis. But very few people make the connection between by the time you're in your 40s, if you start drinking when you're 18, 19, 20, you've been drinking for about 20 years. Mm. Your body physiologically, it's challenging for you to feel joy on its own or create that dopamine because it's so used to alcohol doing it. So after 20 years of having your dopamine artificially created, you're going to feel depressed. You're going to feel naturally like if I don't have a drink, something's wrong because you have impaired it for so many years. And I think there needs to be a connection or a study done to look at midlife crisis, depression, which happens to a lot of people in their 40s and how long people have been drinking and how their bodies and minds have been changed. And when you're a kid, you can get joy off anything, like anything, you you know, it would, it could be your favorite show and you're like, oh my God, you want to go through the roof. It's amazing. But when you're in your forties, because you're so used to alcohol being that joy for you, it's hard to find something that can get to that level. And I think we need to do more in uh, focus on that because I think that's a real reason people in their forties experience their midlife crisis. If you're thinking that there's more to life than this, then good, you're waking up. Now, one of the most critical steps when choosing to up-level your life is to find a tribe who sees and hears you because feeling like you matter is so important. Strivers are a community of people united in the common goal of becoming people who don't drink alcohol and living a self-led life. So if you crave freedom, compassion, and peace, Strive is for you. And you can join our amazing community for free. All you have to do is email method at gmail.com and we'll get you signed up. A good example is um, on what you're saying there. You know, tomorrow's Valentine's Day and uh, I don't I don't drink, right? 
And so I can, you know, re- if I wanted to, like I, I could go get my my wife a beautiful gift. I could organize a really great night tomorrow. I could get the candles on, you know, I could get the massage oil and I can make love to her and get into it and have a bit of fun. And I feel really comfortable doing that. Now, imagine if you have been drinking alcohol for 20, 30 years, um, that it's stripped away all your self-worth, it's stripped away your self-confidence. Um, you're not consciously thinking because it's blocking you and it's numbing you. You're not dealing with any of your relationship issues, your own interpersonal issues, nothing whatsoever. Every time you have sex is when you've had a drink. Yeah. And now, now all of a sudden, Valentine's Day comes along and it's a big issue for a lot of women because it's like, oh, my God, guy's going to want a bit tonight. And I don't really feel comfortable being around him. I'm going to have to have a drink, et cetera. And then they blame the, then they, they, they blame it. Like they almost like blame sobriety, right? It's like, Oh my God, like there's no way I can stop drinking alcohol because of this. And it's alcohol that created it in the first place. This is what you're saying. That's it, man. That, and that, that is part of the reason people are so afraid to give it up, Lee, is because mm. they've lived it for so long. They live with it because, all right. So the, the thing that I tell people when you stop drinking, and I'll, I'm always clear on this, I'm like, listen, when you stop drinking, it will not in OT solve all your problems. Like, PSA, like it it is not like there are a lot of things that are going to get better when you stop drinking. But when you stop drinking, like so your sleep's going to get better, your ability to exercise is going to get better, you know, your ability to think, the brain fog goes away, that's going to get better easily. But a lot of the things that you were using alcohol for as a crutch and as a Band-Aid are going to get worse. Because to your, my analogy earlier, when you had an issue with your wife, instead of a, trying to understand the, what that issue was and really get to the deep, the crux of that argument, you would just go and drink and forget about it. Bad mm. day at work, instead of understanding that bad day and why it didn't go well, you would just go drink and forget about it. You're in a social situation in which you don't feel comfortable. Instead of like dealing with it and understanding that feeling of anxiety and getting over it, you drink and then you feel relaxed. When you stop drinking, you're going to have to be in those moments. You're Mm. going to have to figure that out without any outside external help. And it is going to be hard. And that is part of the reason people go back to drinking or people don't stop drinking because they're afraid, Lee. Mm. They're afraid of uh, uh, approaching and, and under like actually getting into that and having to fix that or face that thing because it is hard. It is challenging. But I tell people it's like it's the difference in like if you want to work out, you can work out with steroids and you'll get strong really, really fast. But there is a price you're paying for it. Mm. And, and and if you do it a lot, you might be like my man, Ronnie Coleman. I don't know if you know who Ronnie Coleman is, but he was one of the greatest lifters in the world. My man was as strong as anything like he is. When people talk about Arnold Schwarzenegger and like the quintessential physique, Ronnie Coleman is like the next guy like he's that guy but if you look at ronnie coleman now who's in like his 50s i believe his entire body is broken down because Mm. of the steroids that he was taking and because of how much weight he was lifting so it's like yeah you can drink and you feel like it helps you get past that in the moment but to your point earlier if you don't deal with these things on your own and you only allow alcohol to do it for you you will lose the ability to deal with it yourself And that is when things really, really get bad. And I tell people, when you stop drinking, it doesn't solve everything and things will still get bad and it's going to get worse before it gets better. But now you've given yourself the emotional fortitude to deal with these things. And that's what we talk about in the book around, all right, this is how you do it. This is what's going to happen because I want people to understand like, hey, it's not going to be fantastic. But if you get through it, when you come out on the other side, you're going to be so much better because of it. Yeah, I I think... You know, people need a lot of help in that regard, right? Because, like, when um, so I stopped drinking. I can't even remember now. Maybe somewhere between ten and fifteen years ago, and I immediately created this podcast and I immediately started helping people. Um, and there was a part of it that fueled my ego, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it made me feel like I was superior to the people who were drinking, and it almost, it almost made me feel like I had this pseudo consciousness like i i wasn't drinking anymore so all of a sudden i'd been released from the matrix and i saw the world in a different way and whilst that's true i did see the world in a different way i didn't i there was still so many layers of the world that were still blind to me 
And I'll tell you, Ken, 10 years later, like I would say um, just before the pandemic, what we talked like maybe three, four years ago, yeah, mm-hmm. like just before the pandemic, was the time when I realized that, hang on a minute, I've just lost one marriage because uh, of my drinking, and now I don't drink, and my wife today is threatening to kick me out because I, I, I wasn't even aware that I had work to work on Mm. right even though i'd yeah. stopped drinking so like now with strive for example you know we we're like okay we don't we don't we're not here to help you stop drinking man that's not why we're here we're we're here to help you live more consciously and if you live more consciously then you can look at your alcohol issue and you can decide if you want to drink or not right same with same with rehabs right yeah. going to rehab for 30 days yeah great i'm drunk for 30 days and then they kick you back out <laughs> and you have to deal with all the shit that's still there before you went in yeah, Lee, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And I love the fact that you make that analogy and that connection because you stopped drinking and it was still 10 years later before you recognized there were other things that you had to work on. So I tell people, oh. alcohol is not, it's weird because me and, and my man, Jeff, from Back to Zero podcast, we were talking about this. Alcohol is the problem, but it's actually not the problem. Alcohol is a symptom of the problem and doesn't allow you to deal with it. And I tell people, and this is something that I I talk about all the time, by giving up alcohol, then you give yourself the ability to then look at what the problem really, really is and get into fixing it. And in the book, I have this thing called the inverted triangle that I talk about. I have an example here. And this is part of like, if you can see it here in the list, it's like a, a triangle that's upside down. And at the very bottom, if you can see here is alcohol. And yeah. the reason I write it this way, because alcohol is the crux for a lot of people that holds them back. I, I I call alcohol the great governor of life. And when I mean governor, I mean like a governor on a vehicle, like a bus, UPS, like they can only go so fast because they put a governor to, to regulate their speed limit. Yeah. That's what alcohol does for a lot of people's lives. It's only going to allow you to go so far and so fast in life. And for a lot of people, only until you remove that, then do you give yourself the opportunity and the ability to fix these other areas in your life. But you hit the nail on the head. You have to then start looking at those other areas. Mm. You can't, for me, let's go back to the meds. M stands for mechanical engineering. That's the very first step. You have to start with educating yourself on it. Now let's talk about E. E stands for exercise commitment. Now for me, working out is a big part of my life. I've always, I've been working out since I was 25. And when you talk about alcoholic cravings, scientifically proven, your body will reduce its cravings if you exercise because your body's used to the artificial spike of dopamine by exercising. That's one of the very few things that can also help you create dopamine, um, serotonin release can really make you feel good endorphin release. So it helps with your cravings. So there's Mm. a physiological part of exercise that, that I tell people you should do it because it helps with your not wanting to drink as much. The other aspect is the pragmatic aspect is that you're going to have a shitload of time on your hands. Like you're, when you stop drinking, you will realize what was I wasting all my time on? So by exercising, you kind of feel that void a little bit. So that's the second part. The third part is diet improvement. And the reason diet improvement is important because it's the same thing. Like you need things to make you feel good. And if you work out, I tell people the reason I like exercise improvement is because oftentimes for a motivator, people like to see the change. Like you might feel different, but if you can actually see it, it motivates you to keep going, to not give it up. So that's why I say, I mean, you will lose a lot of weight because now you're not drinking. You're not having Uber Eats in the middle of the night. You're not making all these poor decisions when it comes to eating and not working out. So you will find yourself getting in great shape, looking a lot better. So exercise allows you to see it, which is the motivation. And with anything, you can exercise. But if you don't eat right, you're just fighting against yourself. And then there's some things like folate and, and serotonium, vitamin D, that if you eat the right foods, it also, just like exercise helps with your dopamine levels, th- those things, folate, uh, the vitamin D, uh, helps with your serotonin levels, which also will reduce cravings. But the last part is what you said and what I tell people. It's called S. So S stands for success seeking. Mm. And for me, this is the most important part when it comes to stopping drinking, because I tell people, when you stop drinking, you've given yourself a gift. That governor that has been holding you back for so long is now removed. And that means the world is your oyster. You can do amazing things cognitively that you could never have done before your pre-alcohol conscious self. And to prevent the thought that going back to drinking is better 
because it was easier for you, you need to then have a goal or create a version of yourself that's so far removed from who you were before that you can never go back to drinking. So success seeking, it goes to the um, the quote by Bill Gates. Bill Gates said, people often overestimate what they can do in one year and they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And success seeking is about creating that five to 10 year goal that has you pushing to be the very best version of yourself. Because by putting that investment in yourself and trying to be a more holistic, well person, you will recognize that you can't do it if you ever go back to drinking because the alcohol is the bottom of this of this triangle, right? So mm. I remove alcohol from this triangle. All my other goals that I've stacked on top of it will crumble mm. in upon themselves. So mm. the inverted triangle is about building a, a life that you're trying to consistently, for me, stop drinking. Then I start looking at my sleep. Then I start looking at my eating. Then I start looking at my meditation. Then I start focus on my writing to get better at writing. Then I wanted to learn Korean. Like I gave a goal to myself. You have to create a goal or a version of yourself that your previous person can never be. And I knew for me, my wife is Korean. I felt like I wanted to learn Korean to be able to talk to my um, in-laws. So I started to learn Korean because I know the drinking can version there's no way in hell I would have had the ability to be consistent enough to learn Korean, how hard it is. So you give yourself a go. And what that does, Lee, it is it, investing in yourself. So then you have something that makes you say, I can't go back to drinking because I can't lose everything that I've invested in myself now. And to your point earlier, you have the gift. You can now, if you don't do anything with it, you just sit around and watch Netflix all day. You're not drinking, but you're not really doing anything with your life. You're not really pushing for anything to be a better version of yourself. Eventually, you're going to be like, oh, well, I mean, drinking wasn't that big of a difference. Why don't I go back to drinking? And so I Mm. tell people, give yourself a goal that makes going back to drinking not an option for you anymore. And that's how the meds help people walk through that. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you. And then, um, you know, that that S... Wow, there's so much I could say about that S that comes to me as you were talking about. I think one of them is like in in Stride in the Stride method, we we talk about this uh, phenomenon called white space. So mm-hmm. uh, I always remember when I worked on the railway, uh, we had this CEO that came in, and the locomotive is like the most expensive resource in the railway. So the CEO was like, okay, so let's say we have 25 locomotives in this region, like I, I want you to get down to 20. So the, you would look at the locomotive plan and whatever there was white space, like the locomotive was idling, it wasn't doing anything. The CEO was like, fill that space. Like you've got to fill that space, right? And that got yeah. me the idea is, like, okay, actually, when you stop drinking, you have this white space in, in front of you because now I'm not going to the pub. I'm not, I'm not uh, staying in bed with my hangover all day, mm-hmm. which would be for me like all day. And then you have this white space in your mind because the, the fog lifts and you start to think. And then there's a key moment there, right, in, in the journey of that person. Because if you don't know or you don't have the support and guidance and, and the self-well-withal to fill that white space with a good exercise regimen, meditation, support groups, etc., go play sport, whatever it is, if you don't fill it, those parts of your psyche that, that have used alcohol to keep you safe, they'll be whispering in your ear, fucking told you you shouldn't yeah. have stopped life was so much more exciting now don't confuse excitement with chaos it may have been more chaotic <laughs> before so yeah. yeah when i when i stopped drinking like you probably we didn't have these we didn't have the meds uh yeah, acronyms and stuff and mm-hmm. nobody to help us i stopped drinking and suddenly I had this wave of confidence and self-realization and i and i quit my job on the railway and then I filled that white space with, all right, what am I going to do next? Right. Like I, I really, I picked up big fucking Indiana Jones boulder. <laughs> People don't have to do that. You can pick a pebble, right? But find something find that something. you can fill your life that's going to push you in the direction that you're already in. And the other thing I wanted to say, again, before I throw the mic to you, is um, the governor. I love that. Um, there are people in the world whose governor allows them to operate at a very, very high level. And because mm-hmm. of that, they don't think that alcohol is an issue. But even at that high level, if you take the governor away, now you, you've got a hundred million net worth. Now you could make 10, uh, 10x that. Exactly. Your relationships could be 10x that. Your relationship, your kids could be, 10, but you just don't see it. 
Exactly. That, and that is the thing that for me, and this is, this is the part of why I wrote Bamboozle. So for me, when I came up and I was going through my alcohol conscious journey, I read Professor Nut Drink. I read Annie Grace's This Naked Mind. I read Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. So all the great quit lit books, and they were fantastic for me. But the thing about them that I often sometimes are a little frustrated about is that they always sometimes presented the rock bottom story where mm. they had some scenario where they left their kids, where they woke up in a hotel room with somebody they didn't even know who they were. They couldn't remember. It was always these rock bottom stories that I think for some people, Lee, they don't see themselves in those stories. So for no. me, and to your point, I was successful. I was director at my previous company. I had a shitload of money in the bank. And I tell people all the time, I was the functional subtype in some ways. Like I didn't, I didn't consider myself with AUD, but I go out and drink all, all night, go to bed at 10 o'clock, wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Sometimes I would go work out after a night of drinking. Like it was just ridiculous. I could do it. And then mm -hmm. I would go to work, but I still knew that I wasn't performing at a hundred percent. I was 70 to 80% of who yeah. I was, but because yeah. I was looking at my peers, because I was looking at my mentors who were making above me and doing and in roles that I wanted and they were drinking, I figured, well, they don't, I don't drink more than they do and they're successful. So I'm fine too. Like I don't have an issue with it, but to your point, I didn't recognize that once I took that away, that next level is astronomically further than what it could be before. And in the book, we even talk about this concept, taking it full circle when we talk about liver disease and how like, you, you know, people don't know if they're going to die when you're until you're in your 60s or what have you. With drinking, one of the things that I talk up to people about is the concept of decageism. And this is something I created. And decageism, it's a little complicated, but really it's like, hey, look at yourself 10 years in the future and think about who is the person that you can be and work really, really hard to become that exponential version of yourself. And then oftentimes when people stop drinking, like in my situation, I was 38 years old and I was like, man, I wish I would have stopped drinking then I was 28. But then I just sat one day, Lee, and I did the math. Like for a lot of people, the average age for most people, you know, I think I, uh, United States lived to 79 and a half years old. I think in the UK is like 82 and a half years old. You guys, I think eat a little better than we do. So <laughs> you know, you're going to live. I don't know, right? But you're going to live to like 80 years, right? So the concept of decageism is stop holding yourself back by thinking about your age. And I tell myself, the, think about what would you tell your version of yourself 10 years younger? So for mm. me, going back to myself, I stopped drinking when I was 38. I would often say, Lee, like, oh, I wish I stopped drinking when I was 28. The things I could have done if I would have stopped drinking at 28. But then I thought about it. I was like, all right, if I lived to 70... What's the difference between a 70-year-old and an 80-year-old? Not a whole lot. You're still old as shit, but I mean, it depends on the lifestyle you live. So yeah. when you stop drinking, you are going to, by extension, increase the length of your life. Now, if you increase the length of your life, that gives you an opportunity to do way more amazing things in the next, that that those extra 10 years. And I tell people back to the Bill Gates analogy, that's why I use the 10-year thing. The things you can do in 10 years are amazing. Mark Zuckerberg was, was 19 years old when he started Facebook. At mm. 29 years old, he was worth like $40 billion, like, or like, I think it was like $19 billion. You can make a shitload of money in 10 years. So just because you didn't stop drinking 10 years ago, that's okay. What would you tell yourself, your 10-year younger version of yourself? How would you go about acting if you were 10 years younger with that knowledge? Now let's execute on it. And mm -hmm. let's say, who do we want to be in 10 years? And let's work towards it. So decadism, it's like a motivating factor that helps people understand you're not too old. Yeah, it would have been nice if you would have known this that when you were a 19-year-old, but still you're young. Now, how do you take the extra length of time that you're going to live because you now know this and go to work and create something special in 10 years that you can look back and be very proud about? It's, it's very apt that you say that, actually, because um, I don't I don't use Facebook. Right. But I go on there every Friday to check my messages. And I went on there to check my message on Friday. And I don't know when you go out, you have to log on to Facebook. So I'm like, Profile comes up and then I check my messages and there was a post on there from my dad and I I knew he was on Facebook but I didn't know that he he used it that much and it, it just simply said uh, 24 hours without a cigarette and um, I made a note and I was like okay need need to speak to your dad because he's how old is my dad now like 70s right like mm. he's maybe 70 71 something like that and he smoked his entire life drank his wow. entire life. 
my mom, 65, 66, uh, smoked her entire life, right? Like really like my dad, like really bad state, like diabetes, coughing, like nobody's business in a real bad way. But, yeah. but one of those people that you, you can't really talk to him about these things, right? Because his, his resistance is really strong. Um, so, you know, yesterday I, I'm going to speak to him today, but I spoke to my mom yesterday, you know, um, and she was saying, yeah, we both have not had a cigarette since last Tuesday. So tomorrow wow. it will be a week for them. And I said to my mom, I said, mom, look, listen to me now, right? Even though you've, you've done this for a long, long time and you're feeling really, because she said she was, she was giving up because of her chest and stuff. And she's worried about my dad, even though you, you're in real poor health, right? If you stop smoking now and you can keep it going, your, your body is an incredible machine. Yes. You've poisoned it so much and it will recover. And all of a sudden his cough will go, man. Like he thinks he has to smoke because it starts in cough. It stops in coughing. His cough will go and you will, you will start to be healthier. And look, what is an extra year or two? What's an extra month? of good health when you're getting towards the back end of your life, right? It's, you don't realize until you get there and you look around at your kids and your grandkids and their kids, and your life and your husband and your wife, you don't want to fucking leave most of the time, especially if you're mentally with it and like you really look after your body and look after yourself, what you're eating, you follow the meds protocol. By the time you get to 70, 80, you, you could still be wanting to kick it in, right? Absolutely. I mean, dude, and that's the thing, Lee. Like, I mean, well, first of all, kudos to your parents because I love it. Because you're, and that's why I say with the meds, it's never too late. It's never no. too late to build the best version of yourself. 71, six, like, I, there's one of the young ladies that I talked to, Janet Garan, who is amazing, who started her group. She didn't start her group till she was 64. I don't think she stopped drinking until she was in her 60s. And now she's doing amazing things in her 70s. So it's around never too late. And to your point, your body is amazing and how it can rejuvenate. So don't feel discouraged and think, oh, I've been doing it for too long. But the caveat I will tell people, and I just want to be clear, it could get worse before it gets better. So just know that once you stop, <laughs> yeah. it's going to hurt for a little bit. It's going to hurt. But if you get through that tough period, you get through it man, you can be so much better on the other side. And that's just what the education is around. It's about just helping people understand, here's the problem. Here's how you're socially being engineered by it. Here's what you have to gain. This is what bamboos will talk about. Here's what you have to gain if you give it up. Career, finances, relationships, all these things are going to get better. And then here's how to do it. And then it ends with the matrix question, red pill, blue pill. All right, now that you have the knowledge, right? You can't say you don't know. Which one are you going to choose? Are you mm. going to choose to go back into the matrix and close your eyes? Or are you going to choose alcohol consciousness and give the very best version of yourself the chance to to uh, to exist? And so, yeah, that's what it's all about. And, you know, and on, on that piece where you where you say it's it will hurt, you know, it does. But I want to really draw attention to this because it's it's the same as what we talked about earlier on, actually, around really experimenting and drinking alcohol consciously mm -hmm. so you can see that it's not providing the value that it is or conversely when you stop drinking also be super conscious because yes. what i what i do in my community is um they will the what i was finding at the beginning was people would were stopping and then they were obviously relapsing right which uh you know whatever word you want to use it to me, it's just part of the deal. You 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 drink, then you stop, and you drink, you stop, you drink, you stop, and then eventually you just you just stop drinking, right? It's mm -hmm. part of the process. Go have a lot of compassion, a lot of love, you know. Like, and there's a lot of there's a lot of good learning in there as well. And I would get people in the community be going, "Oh my god, like I just I had to drink. Like, wh why? Tell us about it. What happened? Yeah, oh, the, the the cravings were so bad. It was so overwhelming. Like I had no choice. I thought I was going to die, so I just stopped. This is what I found, Ken Stripe. Zero people, zero people were physically addicted to alcohol that were coming my way. Nobody. I had nobody coming my way that if they stopped drinking, they would die, right? Mm -hmm. Nobody coming my way. So what I was able to do is I was able to show them, actually, if you are really conscious on what you're feeling when you are struggling in a, in a craving situation and you check in with your mind and you check in with your body and you actually rate it. Right. So you're like, okay, how overwhelming is this for me in my body physically, painfully at a zero to 10? And how difficult is this psychologically in my brain? 
from like zero to 10, nobody was coming at me with seven, eights, nines, and tens. They they were obviously, they were like, oh, actually, this, this, I don't feel any pain. The, the, the uncomfortableness I feel is akin to hunger. That, that's but exactly what it is. Yeah. But the psychological thing that I got, like I've got, I have got this thing going on in my head, this trying to say, go drink, go drink, go drink. Yeah. Okay. Let's rate that. And just by applying a little bit of logic, a little bit of rationality, and a little bit of feeling in a body, mixing up the masculine feminine, people were like, whoa, actually, I, I, I do have the ability to write out my trigger and my craving. I was actually given in too soon. Yeah. Because I really cause cause I really wanted to. Like I really wanted to drink. It's like yeah. you want to eat that cheeseburger. That's it. Like yeah. it's the, it's the yeah. same thing. Like you eat the salad and you're like, oh, I'm gonna die if I don't eat this cheeseburger. You're not gonna die. You just <laughs> want the cheeseburger. It's the exact same mm. analogy, Lee. And that is something also yeah. in the mess that we talk about. It's about pragmatic tools you can use because I tell people you can get through not drinking. The my strategy is through substitutes and routines. You yeah. can try to right knuckle it. White knuckle it is really hard. And to your point about the white space earlier, you got to fill that time with something. When you have cravings, there are specific things you can do from exercising to eating certain things to, to getting out of the, there are things you can do from a routine perspective and from a substitute pr- perspective that can reduce those things. And that's what the book talks about. It gives people strategies. So you don't just have to try to figure it out on your own and white knuckle it yourself using your discipline, but you put yourself in the best position to be successful by um, combating it. Mm, Ken, absolutely lovely talking to you. I love everything you're about. You know, you know, sometimes when you we're all in this space helping people, sometimes my ego parts come up and I, and I look at the way someone's doing something and it doesn't gel with my philosophy and my framework of ideas. I, you're, you're one of the people in this space where I look at what you're doing and it it gels. Like I, I I'm like, yeah, I get yeah. this guy. So keep doing the work. It's really important. I appreciate um, it. Where would where would you like people to go to to buy bamboozled? Where's what's the best place yes. for them to go to? So go to the website, the T-H-E bamboozledbook.com. Um, right there mm-hmm. you can get on my mailing list to get notified. So we're looking at the digital version released in like mid to late March, early April. And then we're looking at the full physical release in August. So I will Mm. tell people I'm taking uh, members of my launch team right now. So if you're interested in potentially getting an advanced reader copy and then being on the launch team, which the only thing I ask you to do is put an Amazon book review when the book comes out, I will give Mm. you a free version of the digital version of the book. And when the physical version comes out, I will give you a a physical version signed as well. So if anyone Mm. interested, thebamboozlebook.com, they can find me there. Otherwise, Kenan Middleton on Instagram. You can follow me there. I'm Kenan Middleton on Twitter. And then my website is Kenan Middleton as well. So they can find me at KenMcKimseyMiddleton.com or any of those. But the Middleton book, come check me out and be a part of my launch team if you're interested. I will get on that email list and then uh, I'll get a copy of the book. I'll read it yes. and then we'll get you back on as you launch. And then we can get our community to to chip in and buy it. Okay. Dude, I would love that, Lee. Thank you so much, man. I'll be so no excited worries, for that. Man. All right. Thank you, Ken. Really love. Appreciate you getting up so early for us today. Ah, dude, this cool. We've been up this early anyway. My wife and I, we go to the gym early. So like I said, it's routines, man. Once you get into it, we're just going to go a little bit later than now. So this worked out perfectly, man. All good. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank uh, you guys and girls for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I got a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today or rate and review the podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it, you could change somebody's life today, okay? So thank you for listening and thank you in advice in advance for that piece of service. Also want to thank our producer, Stan. Um, Stan is still currently in the Ukraine fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now, okay, apart from him. So everybody send out your prayers and your love. Stan, we love you. Thank you very much for everything you do here. For you out there, if you are starting to think about, contemplate, Uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol. You do not have to do this alone. Yes, you drink alone, but you don't have to stop alone, okay? And if alcohol is not your thing, but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life, the ego is getting in the way too much, so you're not happy with the way life is going, then reach out to us at thestrivemethod at gmail.com. Just say, Lee, 
and just tell me what is on your mind and we'll start to have that conversation. Strive community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community and it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight C's of self, our core values, right? Or creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. Uh, I can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments and they're really interesting, exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on, do this quest, right? Get involved in this challenge. Um, and strivers are really finding it exciting and they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy in a state of flow. And that is has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you how you reach out to others in their life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in your relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at strivemethod at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay, much love, everybody.